and gentlemen, welcome to the Abandoned Theater Podcast as a part of Speakers and Screens. You can find us at speakersscreens.tumblr.com. This is our, I would say, monthly. Yeah, pretty much. Monthly film podcast. Skip a month every now and then. Which usually features the three-headed Cerberus beast of Robbie, (laughs) Danny, and TJ. But one of our... uh, one of our heads is is cut gone. He's gone. Yes, he, he's not still cut off. Not cut off. But no, no. But he's currently just kind of secreted into the body, like you split, you know, like you scrotum when you're old. Yes, or it's like really cold. So, yeah. Celebrating that that head's 21st birthday. So the rest of us will be getting fucked up, <laughs> turned up. Um. Oh, that was the whitest thing I've. Seen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, what um, <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Band in Theater, the whitest podcast you know. Um, the that's the title. Yes, there we go. Um, <laughs> that's what? the earliest we've had. That's the earliest we've gotten the title in this whole show. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about some uh, smaller movies today. Uh, we don't really have a massive uh, film, but we have films that could be considered massive in quality. Um, yeah. So Robbie and I, TJ Dwayne, and he is Robert Beck. Yeah. We're going to talk about. We're going to open with an interesting uh, film that might appeal to our genre fans um, because this is pretty up, hyped up by this point. Yeah. We we don't really talk genre that often, so we're going to. Well, I, talk, well, well, I try to. <laughs> yes, and then the rest of us snobs just be snobby over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Robbie, why don't you start introducing uh, this movie about a. Jet- Okay, sorry. Completely innocent children's book. Okay, so the Babadook is the story of a troubled, um, a troubled mother and widow played by Essie Davis, who whose son has this obsession with monsters and the idea that monsters are going to get him. A lot of kids imagine stuff like that, but this kid takes it very, very seriously um, to the point where his interactions with people are always. Sur- just surrounded by that mindset, uh, and 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 part of that stems from the grief of the dead father. You know, the um, film sort of does does interesting things with that grief. I mean, initially a lot of the horror before we start getting to the uh, supernatural aspect of the film kind of does come from that little shit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and, and what's and what really elevates? I mean. To be a great genre movie, you don't have to elevate yourself past anything. You just have to use the tropes of the genre really well. But this movie does uh, appeal to, I think, a wide variety of people, not just horror fans, because it is sort of about that relationship between a mother and a son. And also, it sort of deals with it in a way that, where as the film goes on, you're you're very much with the mother in a lot of the, a lot of the ways. Yeah. But as it goes on, your allegiance is yeah, yeah, exactly. several times, and that's really smart. And that's Kent. and that just shows how strong these characters are. Yeah. Uh, I I, I want to talk about the cinematography and just the craft of the film in a second. But why I love this film is because it is such a great character story. No matter what genre it is, not every horror film needs to have characters this strong. But if you're doing something that is very focused on two people and their inner fears and materializing them in a horrific situation, then 
you you have to have really strong writing and really well-rounded characters. And the reason that allegiances shift and your perception of certain characters changed is yes, because of the Babadook, which we haven't even mentioned so far in the plot description because we're really horrible at podcasting. (laughs) Um, We are the worst. Yeah. Uh, Even though at some point these people might be somewhat affected by the Babadook, um, it's still just people, people's behaviors naturally change and, and you feel like by the end they've grown as people. The, it's not one of those horror films where it just ends with, you know, everything's fine now. No, not ev- no. Uh, you still have to deal with with life and with everyday problems and with dread from the past. But you just have to yeah, deal with so. it. You have, to, you have to deal with it a little better. This is one of the most emotional movies I've seen this year, actually. I in, agree. In with my that. opinion. No, I mean, no, I'd agree with that. Um, uh, S.E. Davis in particular, the mother. Uh, yeah. Um, Just terrific performance, one of my favorites. Uh, yes, Amelia. I, even though um, I, I was watching this film with my wife and two of our friends, and they are much more in tune with horror uh, cinema than than I am. Like um, I am. <laughs> yes. They are uh, They're more probably... Uh, They've probably seen it as much as you in terms of just having a wide variety of the genre under their belt. Um, recently, I watched a bunch of horror movies last October. I probably said this on the podcast. Yeah. And it was sort of a, I wouldn't say it was a numbing experience, but it was a it was an experience of sort of an, analyzing them as opposed to being afraid of them. Yeah. And I found that as time goes by, I'm less and less afraid afraid of horror movies and actually what resonates with me more and more is emotion and yeah, totally. yeah I, I would say this movie made me sadder than it made me scared which uh like our good friend nick uh, uh yeah. who podcasted yeah. our 80s podcast so it's probably say it means the movie failed because he's very much into um that i mean his view is that a horror movie needs to be scary um in order to succeed yeah. but i only disagree and, and he's not here. To I disagree say. slightly too, and, and and I understand his perspective. But yeah, oh um, yeah, no, I totally on. understand his perspective. And and my good friends have that perspective. And luckily, uh, they they were both uh, very uh, frightened at this movie, and they both enjoyed it immensely. But a lot of the emotional stuff early, I think, um, resonated more with me than it did them, uh, because I think that they found Amelia as a bit of a weak mother. Huh. However. As the film goes on, I think she 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 won them over. Uh, really? As the film went on, because the movie just start oddly, like A I was emo- I was emotionally with Amelia, but Samuel is so abrasive. Oh, yeah, and yeah. annoying. And granted, by the end of the movie, I love him. He, yeah, he's a yeah, very yeah. Good character. He is very like, he is very shrill. So I like, I'm watching. I'm trying to analyze it to try to tie all this this random mumbo jumbo I'm saying together. I'm trying to like say like what is the movie trying to tell me about their relationship but that sort of strainedness of their relationship early and how weird they are together and how he always wakes her up and how of a monster he is makes perfect sense at about the halfway point in this film when we start introducing the supernatural aspects and we start actually siding with samuel and then it all clicked with me and like okay i'm in uh for the long haul, the movie makes sense to me. So, the, as, as the movie gets more and more Polanski esque, 
in its horror. I would say the horror here is closer to Polanski than something like Wes Craven, um, which I appreciate uh, as someone who's a much bigger fan of Polanski than Wes Craven. But I found myself just constantly sucked into its world after being a little put aback by not understanding the characters. What this movie does to me that's so phenomenal is that you know it creates a uh, it creates the dreadful and oppressive atmosphere that exists in all the great horrors but how that's achieved is what makes it great and the thing is this is this film understands fears fears in a way that not a lot of horror movies do it understands fear as something coming out of melancholia and and grief and uncertainty not superficial and uncertainty in other horrors like he's gonna get me or whatever, but like lifelong fears, fears of what other people, what people you love might do to you, what might happen to them, what you might do to people you love, and the Baba Duke is a manifestation of those deep fears, like so many great horror mythol horror characters in the past, you know, mm-hmm. and then. Oh, oh, yeah. Then just the look of the film, it's so beautiful. And it's such a confident style for the first-time director. Like, I wouldn't have known that this is this is a first-time director if I was just given this movie blindly. Oh, yeah. And there's a use of editing in this film. And, uh, I, mean, I mean, this and Whiplash have my favorite forms of editing this year easily. Well, not forms, but you know, you, you know what I'm saying. I don't know the right words. <laughs> yeah, my favorite editing of the year. That's basically there what I'm go. saying. Um, like the color palette is just gorgeous, and then the way it's edited is really sometimes disorienting, but otherwise just really just great to look at, just to see what where it's going to move next. Like one of my favorite sequences of the film involves a park when they're at a park, and Samuel climbs up this uh, swing set to the very top. And jumps off, but you don't see him jumping off. Yeah. And it's just such – the way she cuts from one shot to another in a completely di- in a completely different environment, it's just like – I wanted to stand up and cheer when I saw that in a theater. It, like, it was so – like it was at that point that I realized it's – it's a small thing. I don't want to make a huge deal out of it. But it was at that point that I realized, okay, this director is – she's someone that I'm excited to watch. And she's a New York Film Critics Circle winner of Best First Time, Best New Director. Yeah, and and I completely agree with that because she has just such a knack for creating striking images, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course the emotional core of this film is still there. Yeah, and yeah, th- this is one of my this is one of my top top five top <laughs> top ten films of the year right now. I mm-hmm. I, I really loved it. Oh yeah, no, I think this film is very good, and um, yeah, there isn't really much negative for me to say about it. I mean, I have some nitpicky things, but in the end, they don't hurt my enjoyment of the film. Uh, like the sound design's great. Sound design, yeah. Until, but there's one sound that's used. <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't mind you, it, but, but I, enjoy, I know what you're talking about it. There's a moment where, in a climactic scene or two, where this, the Babadook this, like calls on the phone or something like that. No, I like the Babadook calling on the phone. Uh, oh. Babadook. Like it, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
totally worked for me. It was when he roars like a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't mind that, but I can see where some people would find that really silly. Well, and I, ju- I think it was just misused. I, I, it, it is such a small flaw that, and it's really the only thing yeah. that, that, that took me out of the movie. Um, because yeah. otherwise I'm totally on board. Um, but it's, it's there. <laughs> okay. I forgot, um, I forgot to mention the way the Babadook is designed oh, that's- is so – like she uh, she took a really firm stance from what I believe on not having very much CGI and mostly practical effects and having most of the stuff in camera, you know? Oh, yeah. And you can totally tell that because the Babadook is like a combination of like stop motion and – and I, I really I don't know how to describe it. It, it was like seeing the seeing the gorilla aliens in uh, in Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was that kind of like strange practical effecty horror creature that I I I loved it. It was so awesome. And then there's a sequence in the middle of the film that is very reminiscent of uh, George Melier, surprisingly um, the trip the guy that directed Trip to the Moon and was. Uh, the subject in Martin Scorsese, Scorsese's yeah. Hugo. Oh, I love Hugo. Uh, all yeah. those ref, all those ref. Reps. Yeah, and yeah. man, she just just has so many ideas in this movie, and I, I and I really loved it. I mean, it, I I think while being a horror movie that's meant to scare you, and this is for all intents and purposes from everyone I've heard that uh, it's very tense. It's very. I've seen it. I mean, oh yeah, even I found it very tense and and suspenseful. Even though I love horror films, I don't get scared by them i don't mm. n- nothing really scares me anymore things might really freak me out and disturb me but that's well even even that doesn't happen that much anymore you have to have animal cruel you have to have animal peril to <laughs> which this movie has by the way this has been the year of dog peril in movies um moving on how about we talk about wild next okay so wild is the latest film from uh uh, Jean-Marc Vallée. Yeah. I was trying to come up with some sort of like tag given, but he's sort of an <laughs> innocuous director. So there's not yeah. really... Um, he's good like, with actors, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, I mean... That's that's a strong suit. Yeah, absolutely, yes, I agree. Um, he, he He's had three great performances and a problematic one that is of at least a little bit of quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm referencing, obviously, the, the controversial use of uh, Jared Leto in... Uh, Dallas Buyers Club, but yeah, John Mark Valley's latest film, his follow-up to Dallas Buyers Club, which give, gave us a problematic film, but a great performance by Matthew McConaughey um, that was stripped of most uh, gimmick, if all gimmick. Um, we're, we're here with another movie that could have been the world's most saccharine piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I mean, just by the plot, it looks... It, it, I it, hate the trailer for this movie. <laughs> it, seemed, I, it seemed like 127 hours meets... Uh, eat, eat pray love and i and, love 127 hours i've never seen eat pray love but and there anything anything of, involving eat pray love is just like oh <laughs> like that that kind of like new agey bullshit like it's we don't <laughs> I, I think from now i'm gonna on, go on a hike to find myself we don't like you. a movie we should just compare it to eat pray love yeah it was a mix of 2001 a space odyssey and, and eat, eat pray love <laughs> <laughs> hey people who don't like interstellar could probably do that um but <laughs> Um, yeah, Wild is Reese Witherspoon playing real-life human being Cheryl Strayed, who goes on a hike to sort of find herself. And again, that description sucks. That's yep. <laughs> not a movie I want to watch. 
Um, I'm really setting this movie up to be the biggest piece of shit, but it turns out I wasn't setting as, it up like that. Like I was. I, I, no, I, I was. I, I went in the I was. Oh, all right. Um, because that's I went into this movie thinking it was going to be, and the positive reviews. I'm like, well, fool me once. Granted, a year ago we reviewed Dallas Buyers Club, and Danny and I were pretty positive on it. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say glowing, but like forgiving. Forgiving. Um, and I, it at least has fallen in my estimation. I never want to watch it again, really. I mean, it just really doesn't appeal to me. But yeah, it's very, uh, os- very Oscar bait. Like, yeah. Le- yeah. But the this is but Wild is much better than that. It is, and it kind of reminds me of an Oscar baiting movie last year. I ended up appreciating more over time as opposed to not appreciate like Dallas Buyers Club. Philomena. Um, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I find Philomena like a fine a fine movie, and I really like it because it is stripped of um, pretense. A pretense and gimmick. It's just a simple story told, told well, and Wild ends up becoming a story. This is not a story about a woman kicking drugs, a woman kicking her sex habit, a woman kicking, ruining her life, a woman finding herself, though it is kind of that last one. Yeah, it but it, in an earned way, I think. Yes, exactly. This isn't a big, broad-ass movie that's trying to prove a point like Dallas Buyers Club ends up feeling like, a movie about AIDS. This movie is not about AIDS. This movie is just, it's about her journey from point A to point B. And because of that, ends up succeeding. And a lot of that has to do with the way Valet treats his actors, like you said earlier. Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern are both very good in this movie. Um, Yeah, especially Laura Dern. Well, yeah, I mean. Well, yeah, especially Reese Witherspoon, too. uh, Yeah. yeah. For Reese Witherspoon, this is her best performance. And I like her in Walk the Line. Um, But she's better here. Sorry, go but on. um, but I would even say Wild's better than that movie in terms of right. it. It sort of feels at a piece, and the, yeah. And the biggest thing I want to say for it, direction is strong because Valet's directing his actors, and he's stripping it of pretense. Good cinematography, strong. It's not the greatest um, like landscape movie of all time, it's, but the landscapes are nice. Pretty. It's pretty. And, it's and, pretty. And, and buried. It's like, postcard uh, pretty. Yeah, it's the editing that really wins me over in the end, and the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a well-written movie. Um, uh, who is it? Nick Hornsby. Nick Hornsby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does. It, writer, the of, years. writer of um, High Fidelity, which I, I really dig. Um, yes, this is a better-written movie than Dallas Buyers Club. Um, it, it feels more Definitely. true. The screenplay it, was the big problem with Dallas Buyers Club, and the, yes, and the historical. I'm just gonna say it lies. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be well, I mean, exactly. Um, and why watch Dallas Buyers Club when you can watch uh, How to Survive a Plague, which is yes, amazing. yes, but. This movie doesn't have oh you could instead you could just watch uh, oh what's that one movie uh, about the guy who goes up in the woods and spoiler alert, dies? Um, you mean the back it, you mean the backstory of Bon Iver? I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it goes a few the, years ago. Liam, uh, the Gray. The Gray. I like Liam the Gray, Reason. but it's not the Gray. Oh. Um, it, it has the guy who played who is in the movie of Paul Rudd recently the uh, David Gordon Green movie. Oh, Avalanche. In, oh, the Into the guy. Wild. Into the Wild. Thank you. It's sort of like Into the Wild, which I haven't seen, but this movie doesn't like com- really compare to that. It's its own thing. And, and and Hornsby, going off supposedly really strong source material, I guess Strayed's book is very good. Uh, she's a real-life person. She really wrote a book, a memoir of sorts. And I hear it's a very good book. Like A lot of really smart people I know think that the book is great. So it's good source material, and he lives up to it, uh, supposedly. Yeah, but see, the, the even better than his writing is the editing. It's sort of this totally. pulsy use of flash flashback 
where we're sort of getting piecemeal, like the ways that I, the way that I feel like my brain works sometimes, where we sort of think of one minute detail and then it just starts getting a snowball effect. While like uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Cheryl Strayed is walking, walking, she starts having these memories and you get a glimpse and then you get a, a, a little bit of a longer scene and then eventually we just go full into flashback. And, and it's some, some nice uses of music and some on-the-nose uses of music. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking Portishead, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, was that the song that was keep, kept repeating in her head over and over again? I like a woman. Uh, the Gypsy <laughs> song at the end, I liked. That right. was in the... Uh, well, I like Portishead, but it felt very... And the you know, CGI fox was so fucking stupid. What? The CGI okay. fox was yes. so fucking stupid. We haven't got to the negatives yet. We're, we're getting there. I, I think we're tr- I'm trying to praise this movie before we get yeah, to yeah, that, yeah. that fox, which is stupid. Um, but um, this movie just paced really well. And by the time we got to the yeah. end, I'm like, well, the movie pretty much earned almost everything. And I, I enjoyed it. Like, It's a good movie. I recommend this movie to people. Um, I kind of wish it was... Rep- it, it could have come out last year and sort of replaced Dallas Buyers Club as that as that indie movie that could with good actors in it. Um, but it's it's not great, but I would certainly say I liked it a lot. And for the reasons that, that I've stated, uh, not least of which is yeah. Witherspoon and Dern in the editing. Yeah. Right. But um, let, let's talk about that Fox and other things. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to add because you pretty much said everything that I was about to say. Um, I, I think... Yesterday, yesterday I was a little, I was a little irritable and I was a little impatient. So part of me was, part of me in the third act was kind of like, okay, okay, let's get going. Like, how many, how many more people are you, are you gonna meet? Like, if there's a pro- big problem I have with this movie, it's kind of the, ep- it's the some, it's the episodic nature, just in the way that a lot of the new people she meets don't really like some of the, some of the people, some of the people teach her something really valuable or are really memorable in general, but a lot of them aren't. So I was kind of like, okay, like get on with it. Just keep walking. I liked it more when you were thinking and walking than when we were with these people, you know. I liked it when she ripped out her toenail. Oh, God, that was the first scene. <laughs> I know. Fuck, get rid of was... everyone who doesn't want to oh. sit through the rest of the movie in that first scene. <laughs> God. Okay, I've sat through the goriest horror films, <laughs> but... Just that, that, just that. Oh God, I couldn't look at the screen. Like I, that, that shit gets me. That in Animal Peril, obviously. Yeah, the, that the dog peril. here got me harder than that one shitty Saw movie where they filled the guy with acid, <laughs> which made me want to throw up. I wasn't like horrified. I was like, I want to vomit. This movie sucks. I really should have warned us that warned you that I would be blowing my nose. That's no, all good. All right, but um, but yeah, this <laughs> that toenail. Why do we need the fox? I mean, I'm kind of left with that question. Like every, like, it's a symbol, but the movie worked without symbols. I like the movie without symbols. Why is the fox here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's so many fox so jokes sorry. that we can make. Like you know, he walks up and goes, "Lupus, Lupus. chaos reigns." <laughs> yeah, chaos reigns. It could have been George Clooney. I mean, <laughs> what? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For Dancing with Fox. <laughs> but that's what I was thinking. Of... That's what I was thinking in the theater. I was thinking. I almost muttered "Chaos Reigns" <laughs> just to see what what would happen. Homo okay. sapien, lupus, lupus. <laughs> Chaos Reigns. 
Actually, that's what this movie needed. It needed an Alexandre Desplat uh, score. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> though, though, the, though, I like the I like the use of music mo- um, for yes, the Um Yes, I mean, I, I love the Porter Set song they use. It just felt like she's she's going through a pregnancy issue, and what? it's a song about being a woman. I'm like, okay, this movie. What's I was all... po- sorry. Go on. I mean, th- th- this movie for 99 percent of the time keeps from being too heavy handed or on the nose. Yeah. But that but that scene uh, particular where she uh, finds she's pregnant is on the fox's nose. The baggage stuff that was kind of on the nose for me. Like, well, yeah, oh, she's but... picking up her baggage. Oh, she can't handle her baggage, man. Oh, she has to let go of some of her baggage. Someone has to help her let go of some baggage, man. She has to let go of 11 of those dozen condoms. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. That, that that was a funny bit. There, there are a lot of funny bits in this movie. Oh yeah, it's and, it, and it address one thing that I like is that it addresses the fear a woman has when she's alone. That's so well done. And yeah, um, and and I'm sorry if that came out weird, but you know, no, you don't. A lot of movies don't really address the concept of okay, a woman is doing something on her own, and a strange strange people enter her. Life and you have to be on your feet, you know. And in a lesser movie, something terrible—well, oh, spoiler alert, I guess—something terrible would have happened. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, granted, this is based on real life, but yeah, uh, the, the anxiety itself is more interesting than the act in this. Exactly. That, that's why. That's what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I think it's a great point that, that you're bringing up. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, do we have any more points to make or? Um, no, uh, Sea Wild. Uh, it's it's getting better reviews than Unbroken, so maybe make that your Christmas movie. All right, great. That was uh, a random uh, jab at a movie I haven't seen yet. <laughs> I'm probably not, I'm probably gonna skip it. Honestly, like I'm just kind of that in the Imitation Game. I'm just kind of done with done with that. But done with movies like that. Honestly, I'm gonna see the Imitation Game. Um, I mean, yeah. I like it much, but I'm I'm on the fence about. Unbroken. It depends on. I mean, if I do four movies in one day on the twenty sixth, like I said, I was going to. And now that I have a car, I might still be doing that. I don't know. I've heard. I, I hope very... it doesn't become. I hope it doesn't become a, a, a middle brow uh, marathon. That's what I've been hearing. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, so. because because I want the imitation game, big guys into the woods and Unbroken, and they could all be terrible. into the woods. I'm actually not looking. No, I mean I, I'll see it. I'll see that one. And maybe maybe I'll be delighted. Who knows? But from just once again, from everything I'm hearing, is just taking all the satirical, interesting stuff about the musical and kind of throwing it out the window and making something Disney friendly. But who knows? I might still like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as it doesn't have Les Miserables close-ups, I'm good. And maybe it's so funny you know, because tone down the songs a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, so funny because Les Miserables not a, a good movie, but I really don't hate it. Like, I don't, I don't hate it either, but I don't want to watch it. Like, I would never turn it on cable because, other than, other than to make fun of it. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, one, it's almost, one of those movies. Like, it's almost three hours long. I'm not gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the whole goddamn thing again. Jesus, I, mean, I saw the whole, I saw the whole thing in a theater watch. close to the screen. Like, I wasn't even far away from the screen. I was, like, we got there late, so we had to sit very, very close to the screen. So everyone's fucking pores and. Pimples and shit. It was all up in my face. I once read a negative review of the master that had the same problem. I'm like, you're missing the point. <laughs> Damn it! I yeah. don't normally say that to reviews, but it's like you missed the point. Well, that's a particularly stupid criticism, though. Um, yeah. But anyways, 
Um, let's talk about uh, Japanese. Uh, let's talk about fuck bombers. Yeah. Um, why don't you play in hell? Concerns uh, is the new film by Sion Sono. Shion Sono. It concerns a group of friends, um, a, a group of childhood friends that want that want to be filmmakers, and they're called the Fuck Bombers. And <laughs> and you know when they're ki- when they're ch- when they're children, they have this great aspiration, and then later on in the film, what you know, it kind of has a time gap, and they haven't really done what they wanted to do. And concurrently, there's this Yakuza plot involving uh, the daughter of one of the mob members who was famous for a toothpaste commercial. Uh, trust me, it makes sense. It makes sense in context. Um, and later on in that 10-year gap, uh, this is fairly late in the movie, actually, well, the second hour of the film, uh, the Yakuza need to make a film of a raid, need someone to film the raid that they're going to do for a different Yakuza clan. And <laughs> I promise this makes sense in context. They it need... <laughs> They get the fuck bombers to do the the fuck bomber kids to do it, and uh, it's it's a whole lot of fun and very cartoonishly violent, and it's it's a good time. It's a really good time. Oh yeah, it's I, I know. Uh, did you do a uh, a letterbox review on this one? I well, might I, I might have. I believe Robbie wrote a letterbox review on it, and you guys should check it out. Otherwise, he probably just told me uh, at another time. But Robbie had a good criticism of the film at the first half. Kind of drags and feels like it 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 doesn't connect. It doesn't cohere. Yeah, yeah. The, and the, that's my main. That was my main beef. That the pace, the pace of the of the first half is just really clunky, and it feels like the movie doesn't really start in earnest until hour two. Um, yes. You know. Oh, I, and 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 it's true. Like after the first hour, you're going on the second. Like it does sort of feel then it like picks it's up. weird. I will say that my experience with it was that I having not. Robbie has seen several of Sono's movies at this point. Yeah. He's talked about them on a DVD recommendation uh, portion of this, a long this time ago. podcast previously. Yeah. As my yeah. first Sono film, uh, that first hour I still found very intriguing. Like I didn't know where, where it was going, mm-hmm. but I still found myself really enjoying this weird ride. And yeah. then when it all goes, and, the, p- and the, the, end, the payoff is great. Yeah. Like the, the payoff totally works for me. Like, um, would I say it reaches the highs for me that Kill Bill reaches in terms of? Yeah, I, I mean they're, they're kind of saying the same thing in a lot of ways. I or, mean, the, I, or the Raid Two for me, as far oh, as oh yeah, the Raid Two, which is movie. which is on my which is on my two watch list. Yeah, but but how um but how Kill Bill sort of like is about these sort of yakuza and samurai and martial arts films, and then it's sort of co- that, that part one sort of ends in this bloodbath that you're being promised the entire movie yeah so i feel like this movie has a lot in common with that movie it's just even more literal in the plot in terms of that they are making a movie and they are choreographing an actual yakuza war yeah (laughs) (laughs) um where i mean i still feel like the highs of volume (laughs) one which it took me until this year to finally love i still feel like they're a little higher which film uh Kill Bill. Um, oh, really? I always found part one uh, very shallow until I started appreciating motion in front of the lens as opposed to just story depth. Story and plot and... Yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, now, I mean, it's also why I'm starting to appreciate musicals. My DVD recommendation might surprise some people, probably not you because I just talked to you about the yeah. other day. But I'm just trying to appreciate that, that sort of thing now more. So, like, Kill Bill makes perfect sense as a great 
artistic film, even if it's just a, a silly genre movie, it's it's an artistic one. Um, yeah. This movie is sort of the same. It's just even more literal and less subtext. And I still like it for it. I will yeah. say that I don't know if I've seen a shot this year as fun as like <laughs> Skittles goo coming out. Like, oh my God, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, or the rain, or the rainbow, or the rainbow blood. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it, it makes you think of like goo that's the color of Skittles, <laughs> or like, or like yep. some sort of candy. Yeah, the rainbow blood. It's it's that that shot is hilarious and awesome and sort of the movie in a nutshell in some ways. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it this movie is a sugar high. This movie is kind of like the Lego Movie in that way, where it's just sort of always. <laughs> going and you don't always know where it's going but you're entertained and it and like the lego movie there are things that it is saying artistically it's it i mean we're not getting like we're not reading james joyce or something but we don't need to in this case this movie tells its story instead of through language through really energetic images and (laughs) him uh, the, the the final images of of our protagonist running and just 35 millimeter like it's so like it's so good. It's yeah, and it's there's a, and there's a lot of great lines in this movie too. Like oh one-liners. yes, and uh, that commercial. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know, this movie even more than Kill Bill. You know, it reminds me of it reminds me of How Sue. Oh yeah, totally. And and um, How Sue definitely has an influence on Love Exposure, which is the best Science Ono film, if you ask me. If you oh, if you ask a lot of people, it's it's definitely a fan favorite. Um. And uh, and in Suicide Club too. Uh, really, Haosu influences a lot of Japanese um, media after oh, it. You know, I mean, uh, the, the director of that film was a director of commercials, <laughs> Whoa, and it, it was a director of commercials, and and that totally like I. The second we get that that toothbrush commercial, which they play a million times, and for some reason never really got old for me. Um, I kind of was like, yeah. oh, here it, it's sort of like like a motif uh, throughout the film, the commercialization yeah. of everything. Um, it made me think instantaneously of house and sort of a reference totally, yeah. and, and an homage. Yeah. If there's a little bit of a, if I, if I, if I can be a little cranky about this movie, oh, in, absolutely. A couple, in a couple of spaces, I mean, I have seen a lot of his films and he, and he goes in a lot of different directions and he, um, he, he, he's even made like soap operas and stuff <laughs> like, um, uh, that aren't released in the U S but just plenty of different genres. And I, I feel like in his best films or even, even some of his really interesting failures that I've, I've watched cause he, he doesn't make every, not every film of his I like. Um, I feel like I'm always seeing ideas that I wouldn't see from any other filmmaker. And this film is like, um, no, I, I don't want to be brutal about it, but I feel like I've already seen dozens of Japanese films that involve little girls, you know, like a little girl commercial or something like that. Like it's 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 I like the the homo, the homage to House if it is intended. But I just feel like that that homage has been made a whole bunch of times, you know. That's why that's why I'm getting at. Uh, but it's, it's but it, the I tune is you... so delightful that I like it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> ultimately, yeah. I think it's fair because um, because I think in the end you've seen a lot more contemporary Japanese cinema than I have. Yeah, probably. Um, a, a lot of my Japanese viewings have been older, the older uh, ones, which I'm still getting to. Oh yeah, uh, Kurosawa. Inversely, um, yeah. And, and, and that, and you have Asian cinema in general, which yeah. I would say actually 
surprisingly, Japanese cinema might not even be my most seen uh, cinema of Asia. Probably South, South Korea. Korea. Um, yeah. But as someone who is who sort of emerging uh, with contemporary Japanese cinema, and actually going to reference a Japanese film later in the podcast, um, it's it felt refreshing, uh, refreshing right. difference from. Uh, uh, what you get in American cinema, but that might also totally, just be yeah. coming from my specific uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's understandable. I, I, I do tend to see. I, I mean, I have seen in the past a lot of the the popular nerdy Japanese movies that you know mm-hmm. movie websites tell me that I need to watch. You know, the Ichi the Killers and the auditions and all that. All the Takashi Mikes that I need to you know. Do you like Mike outside of audition? Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like Sayonara more because I think he has more interesting ideas and not coheres more as a filmmaker, but he's just con- he's more interesting to me. Um, Is he more Gonzo? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Um, but I um Mike is uh is a little bit of a tangent, but um, uh, Mike for me is a little bit too gratuitous. Like I I used to really love Ichi the Killer, but now when I look at that, like, okay, you're having all that violence, but to what, to what effect, you know? And I'm not, and, it, and it's a it's somewhat fun movie to watch, but it's fairly nihilistic and mean spirited too. Uh, not not that I really mind either of those things either, but it's not what I prefer anymore because I feel like when Sayansona uses violence, it it means more, you know. Yeah. Does that does that make any sense to you? Like it both, but, of, no, both no, of this it movie makes sense. Both like, of this I movie mean, and in his other films is more I mean, serious films, quote. I mean, even based on this, I could tell that uh he gets a little perverse even. Yeah. Um and He's but, always been kind of perverse. But it's sort of yeah, like because love, love exposure is partially about upskirt painting photography, right? Not just that. Um I know, I know. <laughs> but it's like an Not just that, but that but that is a central plot point. <laughs> but the, but it sort of feels like I mean at least with this film, yeah. As you're saying, there's an ultimate point in that, that this film is about, you know, how perverse cinema can be, you know, for for better and for worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I really dig this movie, a lot. Yeah. Would you say it's in the middle of the pack of his filmography? I don't know, cause I there's I mean I mean I've seen plenty of his movies, but I. Haven't seen all of them. <laughs> I mean, he has a lot of them. Like, not as much as Takashi Miike, because that dude is prolific on a different level. Holy shit, I'm looking yeah. at his filmography. 97 movies, and he's only started since 91. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I can't think of another director. Well, there might be some, but... Um, Five Sono, movies in 2000. Sono does make a lot of movies. He makes a lot of movies that don't end up in the U.S., but can be obtained through other means but anyways um but from the ones i've seen i i definitely like a ouija board to the to to the film gods yeah i definitely i I anyways (laughs) i definitely like this a lot i would say um that personally for me i do prefer suicide club and um cold fish cold fish is is terrific and of course love exposure which i think is his masterpiece and um i uh, and if if you're interested in watching one of his serious films, The Land of Hope, which I'm hoping to watch, Hope, <laughs> is on um, what's it called? Amazon Prime. 
It's streaming mm. for free on Amazon Prime. So if you got that, go watch it. Even though I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah. Anyways, let's move on and briefly, briefly talk about my experience seeing the theory of everything, which, which uh, TJ covered last week. And is, is that my harshest pan yet, though? Um, on, on I this think podcast? so. I think so. Although for you, for you, a pan is like a middling score, you know. But, but still, like it. I, it's I, not an abomination of cinema. It's exactly, not, yeah. It's just not good. Yeah, I mean, it isn't uh, Strange Wilderness, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so what was your experience? Because people um, can check our last podcast to, to, yeah, to, yeah. Hear, my, to hear my snarky comment. Um, it's harmless, but like it's, it's, such, it's such a wasted opportunity, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say the positives first. I, I occasionally really like the visual, the visual style, and, you know, there's some... There's a montage that near the beginning of the film with the, with the wedding and such that looks like it was shot in 16 millimeter. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Um, I, it might've been just an Instagram filter, <laughs> filter type situation, not Instagram. Which, okay, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, and the majority of the scenes between Redmayne, Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones alone work for me. Like the mm-hmm. tide detergent scene. And, yeah. um, some, a lot some, of people are referencing the uh, the word board scene, which is actually very good. Yeah, very good. And you know the, the scenes where he's losing his faculties with her are are heartbreaking, and you know rang true to me. But the problem with this film is everything else. <laughs> like it's it it reduces so much, and I understand having to reduce the complex science that um, Hawking invented, but uh, not invented, but discovered, you know, that what he's been known for, you have to reduce that to, for a regular audience to see it. But the problem is it reduces everything else. All of their marital problems result, like just boil down to Stephen Hawking, having a porno mag <laughs> or, um, I, it's his one fault. Yeah. It's just kind of a normal it, it, it didn't seem very dramatic to me as a I, I wasn't expecting a more or anything, but it just seems kind of uh, safe and standard, just like what just like what you said. Like everything in this film is just kind of observable cliches and fake quote movie moments. And Stephen and Jane, uh, I talk about them like 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 they're my homies. Um, <laughs> Stephen Hawking and Jane Hawking, like they went through they went through some serious shit, and it's a great story to tell. And if you want to just touch on the science a little bit less and that a little bit more, I can understand that because this is based on her memoir. But everything just gets reduced to a bunch of cliches I've seen in a billion and a half other movies, and the actors are fine. I mean, Felicity Jones didn't make a huge impression on me to be perfectly honest. Although she has, she has, has I think she has the narrative thrust and I think she has a good job of carrying, uh, acting, acting, not, not like Stephen Hawking. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, I feel like she just kind of, uh, and this might be the result of the script before anything else. I'm sure she's capable of a lot more. But I feel like she's always just in this mode of, I'm the resilient wife, and I kind of sound like Nicole Kidman. <laughs> and like when she's talk, you know, when the doctors say, "Oh, he'll never speak again." Yes, he will. No. Like you know, kind of constantly in that. And like Redmayne mm-hmm. is Redmayne is very good, 
And he gets a lot of the, he, you know, he gets the my left foot stuff down. Uh, but not to the uh, amazing level. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you will get exactly what that's exactly what you're saying. Like he's not asked to do anything emotionally or psychologically complex in this movie. It's, you know, other than getting the physical, the physicality, right. Which, you know, God bless him. Uh, it doesn't, he doesn't really add a lot more. And once again, that's a script, uh, probably before anything else, but I, it's mostly because just the actors aren't asked to do anything more complex because this movie doesn't have a whole lot in its mind. You know, it doesn't give a whole lot of insight and has these really ridiculous science versus religion conversations that just made me cringe. They were so bad. Yeah. Like it's like, I, I empathize with, uh, with, with Hawking. I mean, because he, he does sort of have to, to live in a religious world as someone who's not, who's not religious. He, he's an atheist. Um, I mean, uh, he he, puts yeah. the, he he has the label, which is cool. But yeah, it gets a little. It doesn't feel authentic, and I think that might be my biggest issue with. Uh, I mean, uh, you referenced the visuals, and, and and I feel like like your comments about maybe it being an Instagram uh, filter sort of uh, uh, situation. Yeah, sort of defines how I felt about them. Like this is probably going to get a cinematography nod over like. Grand Budapest Hotel or Gone Girl oh, or yeah. e- or Ida because it looks so pretty. But I feel like that, even though some of the images are pretty, I feel like it lacks the the the, the narrative uh, or cinematic uh, in beauty, uh, just aesthetically, but also like resonance of like other movies, even like Snowpiercer. Like I feel like the cinematography mm, yeah. that's more important to what the movie's trying. Yeah, to- definitely. To what the movie's trying to say, and, and, um, and Blue Ruin. Oh I, yeah, so, uh, Blue Ruin's another one, which which uh, beautiful, beautifully shot movie. Yeah, and, and totally digital, but it uses it to its advantage. Totally. Um, but here, um, yeah, yeah, I, huh. I, I I struggle to find more and more nice things to say about it, but I do agree that the performance it's just kind of a nothing. Mo- it's kind of a nothing movie at the end of the day, and also. Um, I'll, I'll throw in one more positive and then we can okay. move on forever. Yeah. Um, uh, I wasn't bored most of the time. Like, I was still interested in where it was going to go and, like, oh, okay, maybe it could do something more interesting later on, but it, it, it never really does. Um, but I was going with it in, for a while and saying, okay, well, at least I'm interested in what's going on. And then it, it kind of does the inevitable thing that I love a lot of these a lot of these two hour plus movies do. And just kind of by the end, I'm just like, okay, get on with it. Like I know it's too late for this movie to do anything interesting. Just go on, just go, come on, you know, but the movie lacks terrible it. scenes until oh. like, dude, <laughs> <sighs> okay. So I know exactly why, why this what movie you're talking feel about to have a need for a, for a Stanley Kubrick, uh, Dr. Strangelove, uh, reference, like <laughs> where, where, where Stephen Hawking stands up miraculously and goes, mind fear. Oh, God. oh my God. <laughs> but no, if only, if, if only, if only, but like, I mean, that sounds like I'm being disrespectful to an amazing man, but I'm, I'm not aiming that at the man. I'm aiming that at the, when movies. you see the film, it plays off very much like that. And if, if you got half a brain, You'll laugh along with it, <laughs> but like it's. It, but it, but I think that's the issue. Is that the scene? Laugh at it, rather. 
really emotional and like, oh, we're putting you in his mindset, in his head. And we're trying to show it to you visually because that's cinema. No, what you've just done (laughs) is made a mockery of a man. Oh, God. Like, that scene is the worst scene in any movie that I've seen this year. And because it's 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 misguided it's it it does the opposite of its intended effect (laughs) that's so great i I was i i was even kind of moved when he's in that bathtub staring at his hand that's a better moment of of like oh man introspection i really feel bad for him this is this is capturing how he feels you don't have to go to the gimmick and go I, I, it's not a spoiler because it's so stupid yeah. where you want to know going in so you don't go to the movie at all. Where he stands <laughs> up in his own head, but but it's visualized. And he goes up to the... What does he even do? It's been so. It's been a while. Oh, I don't know. Oh, uh, someone drops a pen. Yeah, something like that. But anyways, um, <laughs> I love the stereotypical uh, kind of scene where the the, rad, the radical scientist shows off his radical ideas and then a, a big, just just angry bureaucrat comes down and says, you don't know what you're talking about and walks away. <laughs> like that's, that's, it happens to a T except that he's speaking on a Mellotron. So, or not, not a Mellotron, but whatever that, whatever that machine is, whatever the voice machine is called. So that makes yeah. the dude, that makes, that makes the dude even extra dickish. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyways, let's, let's, let's move on forever. Okay. DJ, what's, what are we going to do now? Let's talk about some movies that are streaming on Netflix. How about that? Yeah, or just things that we've caught up on and seen. That's true. So, so not all these are on Netflix. We'll tell you if they are. They and probably might are. Be good, might be some good holiday viewing for those of you still on break through mid, mid January um, for the college students of you. Um, <laughs> so let's – yeah, because I have to go back to fifth. Um, yeah. So – Let's talk about. Let's start with uh, a nice documentary. Um, this is a. This is a. This is not experimental at all. This is a very by the books documentary about. People. Well, it's a, it, well, it's experimental in the way it's in its very structure. You know. Well, I. I, I mean. Sort of. I'm being. I'm being a bit facetious here. Oh, oh, oh! I see what you're saying here. <laughs> this is like the easiest to watch. Your your grandma will probably love this movie. It's it's <laughs> it, it's it, it's called Monica Mana. Yeah. And Monica Mana is a film where a bunch of people are going up to a Buddhist shrine. Is, is that correct? Uh, no, 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 Hindu. Hindi. Hindu, Hindi. Uh, 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 thank you for for correcting me. Hindi shrine, uh, Hindi shrine in Nepal. Yes, and it, it, it is a tram or a cable car. I think cable it's called. car, and it's about I would say about ten, twelve, thirteen different people going up or down. Yeah. from the shrine. And you just sit there for about several different ten-minute uh, increments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, from what I understand in this film, they strap, um, they they screwed a sixty-millimeter camera into the into the the uh, the cars. That's interesting. And the reason it runs eleven minutes is because that's approximately how long the ride is, and. It's approximately the length of a reel of 60 millimeter film. Nice. So that's so a little perfect. behind the scenes shit right there. What's interesting is that every time, well, I mean, there there are many things interesting about this film, but what's 
partially interesting is that every time we go up into the uh, the actual either up to the to the temple or down yeah. to the bottom, where we go into the building where the cable car is going to wrap around and go up on its next trip, it's yeah. edited in a way where you don't know where you're starting from. Yeah. And, and, and you don't know if we're going to have new people in the car. And every time we either do have new people or at one point where uh, you mentioned this, I believe, I believe, that, <laughs> I believe you brought this up. We're with a bunch of goats and they're assholes. And one specifically is like, that's like a, that's like a, uh, that's like a Wes Anderson centered shot of <laughs> that asshole. Like that's like Kubrick composition right there. <laughs> and, 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 the way we're trying to describe this movie, it sounds boring, but I believe you've talked about it on the podcast before. It's not. It's very yeah. – maybe the first couple, if you're not in tune with it yeah. yet, like, yeah. okay. The first Seriously. two the first two sets of passengers don't speak. They don't speak for, the, for those first two trips. And so you know by the end of those first two trips of whether you're going to be able to sit through the rest of the film because they're, they're the, quote, most boring ones if you want to use those. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but if you can get through those first two and you're still slightly intrigued about what's going on, you're going to be able to get through the rest of the film, no doubt, because right. you're going to start seeing more and more characters. Those first few characters, like people th- that we meet, we get to know their faces and that in is, of itself is interesting. We also get to know that the layout of the land around them, where, what mountain they're going up. Right. Or, or later in the second half of the film, I believe going down from, um, yeah. So so it's it's very it's interesting in of that just itself. But once they start talking, it gets even it does get even more interesting because yeah. we start adding that that element of sound, not just the hum of the cable car, but and the chunk sound. Yeah, and there are some. I don't know if I've seen a move a moment in a film this year as just lovely as watching an old uh, yeah. Nepal Nepalese, I believe Nepalese. A uh, woman eating an ice cream cone. Yeah, it's delightful. And it, it just it, it works. Uh, the, the goats uh, have have. I mean, that's absolutely part of it. And totally, and yeah. the guys with it with a small kitten. Yeah, yeah. The, so they're like rock stars. The Nepalese Heshers with the kitten. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and they have this little kitten. Like it's just. I mean, this movie is at times adorable and extremely contemplative. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, if you're into it, I mean, without being facetious, if you're into experimental cinema or you just want to try something new, if you're bored with what you're watching on Netflix, just add it to the queue and give it a shot. It's, um, just watch it, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, for, for anyone who's seen uh, the, same, the same production company made uh, one of my favorite documentaries of last year or the year before, Leviathan. Yes. It feels very similar to that, except it's less pounding. It's more quiet. Yes. It's the hum of the cable car. And they're very different experiences, but I see I, I think they're very comparable in terms of A quality and B um, what they're making you do as a viewer, what they're making you think about. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, I recommend this and Leviathan if you can catch it. The uh, the documentary, not the the Russian film for me. Yeah. Which I haven't seen yet, though I might recommend it. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um yeah, this is also this is put up by the Cinema Guild. Yeah. And they're, they've really become one of my favorite sort of micro distributors. They put out really adventurous, just the quote, inaccessible movies or challenging films or whatever, um, <laughs> lay, layman's terms. But <laughs> things that you say at Thanksgiving and everyone tunes you out. 
Yeah, pretty much. Hey, I just saw the new Chiming Lang film. <laughs> I just saw the new uh, the new documentary Leviathan. Nomadic I would Fauna. consider it challenging cinema. Does anyone want to watch it with me? <laughs> you want to watch Nepalese Chinga Cable Car? <laughs> I've never seen so much of my family tune out than when I put Under the Skin on. <laughs> wow, you try to you try to sit your family down and watch that. The only people who ended up watching it was my wife, who's seen it and loves it with me, yeah. and my sister's boyfriend. Well, he stayed. Well, yeah, naked Scarlett Johansson. Of course, he stayed. <laughs> well, he came for the naked, the naked Scarlett Johansson. He stayed for the random boners. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's always fun trying to suggest movies to my family. Right. We got a good movie. Okay, uh, okay. What's the what's your next pick, TJ? Netflix pick two is another film that Robbie has seen and talked about on the podcast called um, We Some- Are. What? So, yeah, sort of. It was like Somewhat. a mini. I, I, I mostly, mostly reviewed it on speaker screens, which I can That's post. True. I can repost you need to on read the Facebook page. It's very well written. Yeah, I'll post it on the Facebook page. There we go. Yeah, you should. Uh, Robbie will repost it, and you guys should check it out. It is very well written. Uh, it's his review, and we're going to talk about the film briefly. We are the best. Yes. Which more, frank, frankly, uh, is very underrated. It is. Well, I mean, I am seen on several end of year lists. I guess on Fighting in the War Room, uh, I made one of their lists on that podcast. And yeah, not a ton of critics though. Like just, just, yeah. a, just a few I could think of. Uh, I, I mean, think most, people think everyone, it feels everyone who's, slight. Everyone, everyone who's seen this movie loves it. I, I feel yeah. like. I mean, a few dissenters, but most people seem to. But it just it hasn't gotten a whole, lot, a whole lot of word of mouth, unfortunately. What's the song that they write? Hey, the sport. Hey, yeah. sport. So, um, uh, it's a story of. Uh, three Swedish, Swedish. Uh, uh, I'm you explain the plot. Yeah, they're. Do you mind? Uh, uh, it's a story of, of three Swedish punk rockers, two naturally punk rockers, and one more of a uh, more of a of reserved uh, Christian, Christian girl. They had that they have to uh, they, they have to get into their sort of movement. And she also so happens to be the only one of the three who can actually play music, yeah. <laughs> um, which but is not, the big reason why they initially start trying to get her in the group. But this is not a cynical movie at all. This is a heartwarming uh, film, yeah. uh, an R-rated one, but a heartwarming film nonetheless. Uh, sort of about the awkwardness of friendship and what happens whenever in adolescence. Know, yeah, adolescence. What happens when you and your friend are like like the same guy? even or just the jealousy of your friend having a significant other and then you find yourself like just feeling jealousy among friends like it's very it's a very true film and yeah. it almost and, feels in tandem with uh boyhood yeah no I, I think this would be a great double feature with boyhood yeah definitely. Um, uh to get a different perspective not only from another country but from another gender even though um the more shallow, and some people might say that these girls are very masculine, but they're still girls. Um, no, they're not. It's, it's, it's just the way the hair is, I think. Yeah, like, like, yeah. I mean, they are young girls, but at first, I was, I was like, wait, gender, place the gender. Okay, it is a girl. Okay, so I thought, but that's, but that's part of their style. It's, it's absolutely part of their character, and. And by the end of the end of the film, you just love all three of these girls, and you. And the movie's so short, where you feel like you could watch it like a sequel and not feel bored. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, probably wouldn't want a sequel of the movie just because sequels tend to be inferior. <laughs> but 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 you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. like you like hanging out with these girls because not that they're more interesting than anyone else, but they're just 
the actors are so yeah. strong and they are and the director does such a great job of showing us these characters that yeah. we feel like we know them like they're our friends and in this and in a non-corny way and the end of this movie is such like an undercut of what you would expect in any movie like even a movie i like like school of rock like yeah. it's <laughs> it's the yeah. punk rock ending of school of rock yeah everyone else hates us but we know that we're great exactly and in the yeah. end that's all you need yeah. yeah, I have um, just a couple. I a couple films I need to mention. One of them's on Netflix, and one of them is not. Um, uh, d- uh, do you mind if I go? Or? No, yeah, you can go. I have a cu- I have a couple more quick ones, but but you you go for a couple. Okay. Um, for the f- the first one I'll mention briefly is uh, the new cat the new film by French director Catherine Briat. This is called Abuse of Weakness, uh, starring Elizabeth um, not Elizabeth Isabel Huppert as um as a film director who has fallen under a stroke and um fallen under a stroke who had who has a stroke and is incapacitated uh, for some parts of the film and she still is trying to get a film together and she meets with an actor that uh she instantly kind of has this connection with except that he he is constantly manipulating her and getting getting her to give him money and do all sorts of not good stuff. Um, it's very harrowing in unexpected ways. Like the progressive signing of checks becomes dramatic to me. And it it's a film about the power of manipulation under really compromising circumstances. And as the title su- suggests, Abuse of Weakness, um, it's about how someone else's weakness can be abused for personal gain and the movie is intentionally unclear about specific events. Oh, I forgot to mention. This film is autobiographical. This happened to Catherine Briot, and she made a film about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's intentionally unclear about specific, event, specific events, and pertinent information that would be major scenes in other films are intentionally just taken out in frequent in- instances. And by the end of this film you're left with more questions than answers. And I love that. And this has a particularly low rating on Netflix for some reason, but I think this film really touches on what the power of manipulation is. And Isabel Huppert is really astonishing in this film. She's demanding and, and still very vulnerable and vulnerable in a, in a a cinematic, not in a really weak type of way. She's yeah. fully of fully aware of the mistakes that she made while her guard was down, and while the time felt right. But she didn't need she doesn't need to apologize to anyone for them. And by the end of the film, you can almost kind of feel the the director commenting on her own situation. Um, it's tr- it's a tremendous character and a great performance. Um, and yeah, it's a very good film, and people should watch it. Yeah, Is- Isabel Hubert is good, and I mean, every she's great in the, the Piano Teacher, which is probably her most yep. fam- one of her most famous. But she's also in a Hong Sang Soo movie, so yeah, she, she has her stamp on a uh, on Korean cinema as well. But she's great in everything. Yeah, she. Is. Um, also, uh, low Netflix scores. It thought I was, uh, it predicted I was going to give Monica Mon a half a star. So, um, <laughs> don't always trust your Netflix ratings. Yep, pretty much. Um, and. Uh, TJ, uh, what was the other ones you wanted you wanted to mention? Oh, I quickly want to mention the, we've already mentioned this this filmmaker, uh, Roman Polanski's latest film, uh, Venus and Fur. 
it's an adaptation of, of a play, but unlike I never saw Carnage, but supposedly the movie's crap. Oh god. Um, unlike I Carnage, really I really couldn't stand that movie. <laughs> unlike Carnage, um uh this movie's not crap. It's actually quite good. good. It, it's a two character play that takes place in a playhouse. Uh, a, a man is sort of um, he, he, he's a, he's asking uh, people to try out for his play, and someone shows up late, uh, played by Roman Polanski's own wife. Yeah. Um, and hilariously, Malthau Almerich, uh, who's also in Grand Budapest Hotel, okay. um, looks a little bit like Roman Polanski. So I don't think this is accidental. Um, I, I, I've read that in other reviews. That's not that's yeah. not just <laughs> my own uh, yeah. ideas there, but. The movie's really, it sticks with you. It, it's an engaging sort of feminist tale, uh, a, re, a retelling of a, I mean, the the actual play is a retelling of an old uh, novel that invented the word masochism. Um, wow. Uh, the, the novel did. And it's sort of like a hypersexualized investigation of gender relations. I, I mean, it, and every time it starts dipping into um, potentially uh, misogynistic, uh, themes the movie undercuts it at every turn it's just yeah. it's just an interesting watch with two really talented actors and polanski for most directors directing on a stage even if there's no one in the audience just like in a playhouse or one location film would be really limiting and it would not be cinematic but roman Polanski's kind of the king of claustrophobic uh locations like just yeah. his great film repulsion or even uh rosemary's baby and this film absolutely takes advantage of its location. It's incredibly cinematic. And, I, I mean, it's not my favorite film of the year, but it's certainly on my love list. And I really recommend people check out Venus and Fur. By, uh, really good. All right. Also, a quick, another quick one. Uh, like Father, Like Son. Oh, yeah. Uh, a Japanese film by a uh, re- renowned humanist, uh, Koreeda. Um, it's a film about... A, a, a wealthy bourgeois husband and wife who have a son, but then they, in order to get into the public school system in Japan, you have to get a blood test to make sure your parents are really your parents. Turns out they're not his parents. And turns out someone else who's obviously the exact same age, he was switched at birth with a poor family who has many kids. Whoa. Um, so they have to get in touch with this family to decide what they're going to do. Are we going to switch back kids, or are we going to keep the same kid we've had for five years, even though they're not our own biological kin? And the movie, I kind of like a movie that's just, here's a situation. Now, it's sort of like force majeure a little bit. You know, the, the, the man abandons his family at a time of, at a supposed time of need. Um, and it's, that movie's hilarious. This movie's heart-wrenching. It, it's at times quite charming and funny, even. But most of the time, it's sort of, it really... Uh, Tugs at the hearts, the heartstrings, but not in a sentimental way, but with sentiment, with earnest emotion, and it, 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 it it's a kind of movie I like. Where it's just here's a moral situation. Now, what do you do? Like, what is the solution to this? And and the characters have to go through the same sort of thought processes that we would have to go to in a similar situation. And there's a tracking shot at the end of this movie that. Uh, it just it just tore me up inside. It's it's as emotional as the great scenes from uh, from Love is Strange at the end of that movie. Oh yeah, it's it's um, I really recommend it if you want to see a great humanist tale of what it means to be a parent in contemporary society, not just Japan, just in society. Uh, this is absolutely a must see. It's, it's it's a very good film. All right, 
Um, I have one more film to mention. Awesome. Very, very briefly, I saw in here in Vice two weeks ago. It is <laughs> astonishing. I still don't know what I really saw, except that I know that I love it. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. But all I'm going to say right now, we'll cover it more in depth next time. Yeah, uh, our, our next podcast should be quite um, – we'll keep it as short as possible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be our end-of-year extravaganza. will not come until next month, um, probably middle to late. Um, middle to late. Uh, middle to late January. January. We'll, we'll uh, get our top ten lists on, and everything. On when, whenever I see Foxcatcher will be the moment we probably start recording because um, mm. that will be the last film I get to see uh, All right. for for, for this uh, film cycle, but we'll give you some reviews next time and we will um, do lists. And, and we'll give you top 10 lists, which will, should not go as long as last year. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, with, with reviews maybe, but, but, but we'll see. Um, yeah. So DVD recommendations. Um, ah, geez, I had one. I forgot. Um, you do one. Okay. My DVD recommendation is a film that, as recently as one year ago, I would say I hated. It's called West Side Story. Ah, um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's I. Well, I mean, I could also recommend American in Paris and um, and the Jacques Demy Blu-ray set because I've kind of got, gotten into these sort of Vincent Minnelli, um, Robert Weiss, Jacques Demy musicals. Um, when done well, I mean, yeah, the songs and sound of music are obviously they're important to my childhood. I mean, I remember all those yeah. songs. <laughs> Like I could probably quote them verbatim, but I mean, it's not my favorite film of all time. I'm kind of in the Christopher nah. Plummer uh, boat on that one. That movie being not very not, good, even. Yeah. But West Side Story is very good. It, yeah. It, and really, it all buckles down to the production design, the the reappropriation of a great Romeo and Juliet tale in a modern, and at the time, a modern uh, uh, setting, and. The dancing. I really yeah. sort of appreciate uh, with the way dance. I mean, I need to see Pena. Speaking of our conversation <laughs> before our podcast started, um, yeah. But as as ridiculous as the concept of dancing gangsters is, or not gangsters, yeah, oh, it's just like I, which is why I hated this movie. Because <laughs> the whole oh, con- the whole concept, like you know, to a straight, you know, to not to a straight dude. That's what, that's what I was thinking of saying. Well, but, well, I mean, you know. But when you get a, get an appreciation for dancing, it's really phenomenal what they what, what they do, and yeah, I really love that movie too. Well, see, the thing with musicals that has always put me aback is I, I can't fall for the world, I can't get into it because it just it's implausible. But that's a very shallow criticism. Well, yeah, um, but it's, under, it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, granted, if someone said they don't like musicals, they don't judge them because they're they are not for everyone. But no, what what I have what I have started appreciating about musicals is when the worlds become like almost phantasmagorias like the the <laughs> ball, the, the 18 million the 18 minute ballet at the end of an american in paris is amazing wow um uh love to it, see that oh yeah uh gene kelly uh oh yeah see it. anything with gene kelly yeah, yeah. um or a lot of the great sequences and probably the greatest musical of all time maybe singing in the rain, singing in the rain um, yeah. um or uh jock demi's uh, or the uh, the umbrellas of Sherbourg yeah, are great musicals. Or in this case, um, I mean, most of West Side Story sort of fits into that realm. The world's hyper real. You do not gangsters do not snap at each other and <laughs> badly pit play basketball and like you know like like 
throw their bodies at each other like in the way that these people do. It's unrealistic. But I mean, Roger Ebert in his uh, his review of the re-release of this film said that it's kind of like watching Yo Jimbo. It's kind of like huh. watching a Kurosawa samurai film, huh. like really just the way that bodies move across the screen. And I cannot agree more with that. Um, yeah, I really recommend if you hate West Side Story, and you haven't seen it in a few years. Uh, give it another shot with a different with a different mindset. So that's my DVD recommendation. Great. Yeah. Um, a DVD recommendation is MASH because I just saw that for the first time and it's oh, yeah. a lot of fun. Would you also recommend The Long Goodbye? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's about it. Cool. So, well, th- I think that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great life. We'll see you in January. <laughs> Bye. Seventy's on.